You are listening to the First Baptist Jinx podcast. To learn more about FBC Jinx, including our gathering times, visit us online at fbcjinx.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Drew Wright. Good morning. Uh, if you are new here, uh, you, you got to hear from our senior pastor, Rick, as he uh, talked about the exciting news in the life of our church. Uh, he did mention uh, that I'm preaching today. My name is Drew Wright, and I am just one of the guys that gets to serve on staff here. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And, and let me say up front, I always consider it such an honor to step on this stage and to get the opportunity to teach God's Word because I love God's Word so much, and the opportunity to teach it to a, a room of people just is always surreal to me. If you happen to grab a worship guide this morning and you're looking at the back of it, you probably notice that we're talking about everybody's favorite subject today, which is reconciliation, or uh, you may call it like conflict resolution. Um, now, I know the majority of people in this room, you don't like conflict. Uh, you, you don't enjoy it. You uh, maybe avoid it. And that's actually part of like what I believe. I believe there's like four types of people. Um, now, I say that that's just the way I see the world. I'm not saying this is like a statistic. But you have people that hate conflict, right? People that avoid it, they, uh, they'll never say a harsh word to another person because they're like, oh, that's going to end up in an argument. Like, I'm just not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. Uh, they avoid it with everything they have. They, they try to stay far away from it. And they usually end up with actually a lot of conflict in their life because they avoid it so much. You have the people that avoid it. You have the people that love it. And they love being in the middle of some drama. They like uh, having conflict. They're the person that loves to argue. Uh, don't look at your spouse right now. Like they, but they love it, right? They enjoy a good argument. They, they like to get heated. Conflict doesn't make them feel uncomfortable. Um, they they kind of thrive on it, right? Then you got the people who, they don't really avoid it, but they don't necessarily like it. They just do it when it's necessary. And they'll step into it. They will say the hard word, but they don't, they don't necessarily like it. It, it. There's probably some anxiousness on the front side of conflict. These people uh, usually tend to act like extinguishers to a fire or an argument. Like they're, they're, they're quick to say they're sorry when it's their fault. Um, you know, they're, they're quick to try to bring resolution because their goal is for the conflict to fully resolve and do its best for everyone and the outcome, even if it may take a little bit longer. Like they, they want to bring resolution. Um, the last type of person here that I, that I see often when it comes to the area of conflict is usually the person that's not even actually in conflict. Um, they're the person on the outside, and they're kind of feeding the fire. Uh, they, they don't like to be in the drama, but they like to know the drama that's going on. Some of y'all know who I'm talking about, right? You, you're like, oh, this person, they, they're just constantly talking about other people. They're gossiping a lot. They find themselves not in the middle of conflict, but in the middle of sin because of this. And so... I say all of that, the reason that I, I started this way is because this message, like the book of Philemon, it's, it's for everyone. You may not find yourself in a place where there's ongoing conflict, today's still for you. And so tune in, lean in. Um, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it up to Philemon. If you cut your Bible on the high, half, you keep go to the right, eventually you'll run into it. Um, if you get to Hebrews, uh, you went too far, it's right before Hebrews. So um, that's kind of where we're going to be. If you've ever found yourself in the middle of conflict, which could be as simple as like a small argument, Maybe with a family member or a neighbor, you know, uh, they, you know they, they, they don't mow their grass. And you're like, that person, I'm that guy. Uh, they're like, Ooh, I've got an issue with them. It could be as simple as that, or it could be as large as like walking through divorce, which is a massive conflict and really, really tough because it divides. And it's not just between two people, but it usually affects a larger group of people. What I believe is that we all understand at some core level that conflict exists. 
It's present in the world. We all will end up in some piece of conflict at some point in our lives because we are all sinners. Romans 3.23 says that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So at some point, because of our brokenness and the brokenness of the world that we live in, like we're not always going to get along with everybody. Not everybody's always going to get along with us. And we are going to have conflict around us in our lives because of sin. And so because of that sin, it makes following Jesus so vital. Because here's the reality. He's the only one that can actually do the healing, the spiritual healing that's needed amongst believers. He's the one who's, who, who helps forgive us. Like, it helps us to forgive ourselves sometimes and helps us walk in his way. It's like Jesus is so central to everything that we're going to be talking about today because it's a central piece of the book of Philemon. Now, some of us are better than others at conflict. We just are. We're naturally better. Um, you're, you're, you're good at having conversations. You're good at talking through issues. Um, some of us struggle with it. Some of us struggle because we avoid it. Some of us struggle because we love it and we want to argue too much and we want to always uh, talk through the issue right now. That's me, by the way. Like I'm, I find myself, like if I have an issue with somebody, I'm like, let's talk it out 100% right now in the moment. I, I just, let's, let's do it all. That's not always best, Right? And so some of us are good at it, some of us struggle at it. However, I'm sure if every single one of us were honest, we would all say, hey, we probably, I probably have some room to grow in this area. I'm not perfect when it comes to this area of the Christian life. Luckily, we're not in the dark. We're not, we're not left in the dark without help in how to grow in this area in our lives. And for some of us, address something major in our lives. Because we're so bad at conflict and it's creating such issues in our lives. And I'll get to that. Last week... Brandon, our student pastor, as Rick said, finished up uh, the series on the book of Colossians. And he taught through chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. He did an incredible job. If you didn't get a chance to go watch or listen to that, go back and watch it. It's online. But he didn't finish the whole book. Uh, he, he, he didn't include like the final instructions, uh, the, the ending Thanksgiving, all that kind of stuff, which is kind of just the wrap-up of the letter. But in that wrap-up, there's an important piece about what we're going to be talking about today, which starts in verse 7. Paul says this, he says, Tychicus will give you a full report about how I'm getting along. He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I'm also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happening here. So the, the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossians has a companion letter that was sent with it. It's a personal letter written by Paul to a man named Philemon. Why is that important? It's the name of the letter, right? Um, it's, it's, that's why it's important. Philemon begins this way. Paul says, this letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Jesus Christ and from our brother Timothy. Little note here. This is the only letter in the New Testament that Paul wrote that begins with Paul announcing his imprisonment. He was in prison in multiple letters, but this is the only letter that begins this way. That's significant because of what he's going to address when he's talking about freedom in a minute. He says, I am writing to Philemon, our brother or our, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, and to our fellow, fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. A couple of things going on here. Number one, Paul tells us who he is and gives us a piece of context about who the letter is to. So first, it's to Philemon. Right, It's from Paul to a, a man named Philemon, and we understand that, that Paul has a prior relationship with Philemon, which is really interesting, because if you go back and you read the book of Colossians, you realize that Colossians, Paul wrote to a group of people that he had never met. He had never been to that church. He didn't start that church. He'd never been to that church. He was just overseeing that church, and so he didn't know them. So how does Paul know Philemon? 
Like, what, what's the context of their friendship? That should be a question that, that comes out of that. Second is he names two other people that the letter is actually addressed to. First is Aphia, which is most likely Philemon's wife. Um, so any, any issue that Philemon has, if, you're, if you're, a, 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 have, you're in a marriage here, if your spouse has an issue with somebody, you have an issue with somebody, right? And so he addresses Aphia, and then he addresses another man named Archippus, who is most likely like a deacon within the church. Paul, all, all we know is Paul calls him a soldier, um, which may be a little weird today if we walked around, you know, calling each other soldier. Uh, that would be a little, little strange if you didn't serve in the military, right? Um, I'd be like, how are you doing, soldier? And I'll be like, that would just be weird. We, we don't do that. It'd be, it'd be just a little, little weird. And so you're like, okay, why does Paul call this guy a soldier? Soldier is like a war-type descriptive. The question is like, who are they fighting? Like, what, what's really going on here? I think Paul's alluding to what he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, when he says, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heaven. So what, what's Paul doing? Paul, at the beginning of this letter, is recognizing that what is at work against them isn't just something that's physical between the two, two guys. It's a spiritual matter. He understands that, that what's going on in the life of this church, that it's a spiritual issue in the life of this church. Three, third thing here, Paul is giving us some information about Philemon. He's telling us that he's the leader of this house church, which means that there is a weight of responsibility that falls on Philemon to lead by example. And so you may be thinking, oh, this letter is only to pastors. Wrong. You would be reading that wrong. Uh, this, is, this letter is addressed to every believer because here's the reality. If you found in Christ, you live out by example to the world. Everybody is looking at you, judging you. I'm just going to let you know if you, you don't want to be judged. Like the world's going to judge you on how you live out your Christianity. And so before Paul even gets into the, what the letter is actually about, Paul establishes kind of all of this up front in that introduction. Then he goes on in verses 4 through 7 to further set up Philemon for what he's about to ask of Philemon. He says, I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon. Because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Paul's doing two very specific things here. Number one, Paul is honoring before asking. He's honoring before asking. Now, if you're a parent in here, you may be thinking, oh, I know exactly what Paul's doing. He's buttering him up, right? He, he's setting him up. I, I, little Drew did this. Anytime I wanted something from my mom and dad, uh, anytime I wanted to go like, stay the night at a friend's house, I'm like, hey, I want to go stay at Michael's house. You know what I would do? I would do all the chores that I never did. Um, all the things that I was like hated doing, I would start dusting, I would I'd start sweeping, which, by the way, dusting, what a waste of time. Uh, still don't like dusting as an adult. Um, I know I'm better because I did it as a kid, but anyways... Uh, I would do all of those things. I would just go above and beyond. And then I would go to my mom and dad and I would say, hey, can I X, Y, Z? And so you may be thinking, oh, that's what Paul's doing. That's not what Paul's doing. Paul, in this moment, he is honoring because it's the right thing to do. He's modeling for all of the Colossians, including Philemon, and for us that as a believer, honoring one another in how we talk to each other, and how we talk about each other is extremely important. Some of us really struggle in this area, especially when conflict's present. Or when somebody has maybe spoken a harsh word of criticism towards us. Sometimes when criticism's spoken, it doesn't matter if it's constructive or not. Most people don't take criticism straight in the constructive area first and foremost. 
we almost always take it as attacking and we, we take on a place of defense. And it's because of that perspective, rather than receiving it well and working on the things in our lives that probably do need to be worked on, we dismiss it. Sometimes by like being sarcastic and making, making fun or, or, or talking ourselves out of it, or we flip it and we try to degrade the other person. We talk negatively about the other person that, that's saying stuff against us. Here, let, me, let me just say this up front. That's not a characteristic, of a characteristic of a mature believer. If you dismiss every word of criticism in your life, that, like, that is not the, the characteristic, of a, characteristic of a mature believer. Here, Paul is about to address probably one of the most significant issues in Philemon's life. He's about to speak a really hard word, and we're about to get into it. But he is trying really hard up front to establish the heart in which that harsh word is about to be spoken, and he honors Philemon before he gets into it. Two, Paul is over-communicating the idea that identified the early believers. He's establishing the idea of fellowship. Now, when we think of fellowship, we probably think the old school way of like, oh, hanging out with people. That's kind of what we, we say. It's like eating together or um, spending time together. Like we fellowship with other, other believers. That, that's really not what the idea of fellowship is. It's the Greek word koinonia. And it comes from Acts chapter 2 and it says they were fully devoted to one another. Now, you probably don't think that way about other believers. You probably think that way about your spouse and your kids and your immediate family, but being fully devoted to one another, which means as you look across this room today, like you, you, what, what Paul's saying here is that we're fully devoted to one another because we're in fellowship with one another as a, as a church. This, this idea of koinonia is, is a very deep issue that we are bound to one another as believers. So that means whatever has happened and whatever may happen we're willing to work through it because of Christ. Then Paul dives in. First, by establishing the idea that, that reconciliation is not optional. It's not optional. He says, that is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer to simply ask you. Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying as believers, hey, we don't get to pick and choose whether we reconcile with another believer or who we reconcile with. As believers, one of the major things that should separate us from the world is that we do reconcile with one another. That we always reconcile with one another. It, so while it's not optional, it's also not forced. You may be like, wait, that doesn't really add up. How is it not optional and also not forced? As believers, we are held to a way of life that is marked by Jesus Christ and evidence through the Holy Spirit bearing fruit in our lives. And so if at any point it becomes optional to reconcile with another believer or not, we are no longer submitting to Jesus as Lord. We have taken that place in our life as Lord of our own life. And so while it's not optional for someone claiming to be a follower of Jesus, it's also not something we're forced to do. Because if you're forced to reconcile with another person, it's not done out of love, which is the heart of true reconciliation. It's why the heart's so important. As kids, we're taught to just make up, right? I had an older brother. He's three years older than me. We used to fight a lot. I mean, probably every day, me and my brother fought. Um, we did that all the way up. I, I, the last time I, we fought, I think I was a senior in high school. He was a junior in college, and I tackled him through, took, took his bedroom door off the frame, right? Yeah, yeah. You know what my mom used to? She would just scream at us and be like, you guys make up. You're brothers, right? And so we would, just so we could do whatever we wanted to do so we wouldn't be grounded or things wouldn't be taken away from us as little kids. As adults, it was different. That, that's not what Paul's saying here. The heart of why we do reconciliation 
is so important because reconciliation shows us the heart of somebody. Paul says because of our love. As believers, we have to be committed to loving one another. Reconciliation has to come from love. Has to. Otherwise, we're we're just operating like the world does, and we'll end up avoiding people or dismissing people. If if we're not committed and devoted to one another out of love, we're going to end up just faking it with people. And so if you love the other person, reconciling with them shouldn't be forced. It should just be what we do. Second thing here is reconciliation requires humility and self-sacrifice. Verse 10 says, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. Which if you're taking notes, you should underline that that phrase right there. Because this is like the central element of what Paul is asking. He is asking that Philemon show kindness to Onesimus. He says, I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been much use of you two in the past, but now is very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Reconciliation requires humility and self-sacrifice. Humility here, Paul is evidencing that by placing Philemon above himself. Now, positionally, Paul was above him. Org chart, uh, chain of command, Paul's above Philemon. Philemon's a house church leader, Paul's above him. So he could demand it. He'd be like, hey, you do this. This is how this is going to work. And he evidences that in verse 8. He says, I could demand it, but he's not operating from there. He's operating as if he's thinking of Philemon first. Sure, he expresses some desires for Onesimus, but he doesn't put them above Philemon. Now, self-sacrifice is actually coming from Onesimus. Because who's the one who has has to actually reconcile with Philemon? It's this guy named Onesimus. Now, who is this guy? What has he done? What we learn about Onesimus here in a few short verses is we kind of learn that he's wronged Philemon in some significant way. Most people believe he was a runaway slave that on his way out probably stole something from Philemon or hurt or damaged his house or uh, something like that. Like There's some deep wounds here of trust. We could speculate all day why they're not on good terms. What we do know is that they're not on good terms. And there's not only tension between them, but at some level there's unforgiveness between them. Another word for that would be bitterness. Like They're holding an offense towards the other person. Onesimus has never returned. Philemon has never re- like found him. He, he's never over this. That's why Paul's writing this letter to him. We don't actually know the issues between them. What we do know is that Philemon is in a place of being offended by Onesimus and that they need to reconcile with one another. Paul calls for this because of their mutual faith in Jesus. He says, hey, you guys are both believers. It's time to come together. He even goes on to say that Philemon should no longer treat him as a slave, but as a beloved brother. This shows an aspect of true reconciliation, and it's a reference back to the letter of Colossians. Rick talked about a couple of weeks ago on Father's Day. So in Colossians chapter 3, Paul establishes, he talks about three specific relationships, or three specific relationships in the household, the Christian household. In the Roman household, the man ran everything. They were in charge, and everybody basically was owned by them. They owned their wife, they owned their kids, they owned slaves. 
That's the way the Roman world worked. Uh, they had ultimate authority. They had power over life and death of the people in their household. Paul, in, Romans chapter, or in Colossians chapter 3, is shifting that a little bit. He first addresses husbands and wives. He addresses the husbands. He says, hey, you need to love your wife like Christ loved the church. You need to treat them with respect and honor. Wives, you are now letting, your, in Christ, you are choosing to let your husband be responsible for you. What's he doing? He's saying, hey, uh, if you're a Christian, you're no longer Lord of the house. You know who takes that mantle? Jesus. Jesus is now Lord of your house. And so because of that, you mutually submit to Jesus Christ as Lord of both of your lives. He dresses parents and kids. He says, hey, parents, you need to be patient with your kids. Patience with your kids. But he tells kids, you know what he says? Obey. Honor. There's, there's no like uh, extra stuff there. He's like, this is it. It's simple. And so he addresses in two verses, husbands and wives. The next two verses is parents and kids. And then the next four verses is be- between slave owners and slaves. He spends twice as much time on, those, on that relationship than he does the actual immediate household. Why? Because that was such an issue in the Roman world. Everybody owned slaves. If you were wealthy, you owned slaves. And so he, he addresses that. And you know how he addresses that? He's like, hey, if you're a Christian and you're, you are a slave, you treat your master with honor because you're actually realizing that he's not your ultimate master, Jesus Christ is. He says, if you're an owner of slaves, you no longer have property. You can't treat them like property. You know how you treat them? As equals, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Treat them just and fair. And so Paul here was subtly reordering the way in which Roman households were to operate. That if somebody were to look at, the, at a Christian's life, they would see an entirely different way of life. This wasn't done through protesting or yelling on the street corner or advocating loudly about our, about our rights and things like that. You know how it was done? Day by day. Through consistent, loving actions to one another. He goes on in chapter 4 of that and he establishes who Onesimus is. You know what he doesn't say? He's a slave. You know what he calls him? A beloved brother. Paul, in the, book to, in the letter to the Colossians, is establishing this idea, and he's linking these two letters so that as Philemon hears this call to reconciliation, he is reminded of the reason he is to reconcile, and that's because Jesus is Lord of his life. He's not, he's not operating and submitting to his feelings or his emotions, regardless of how valid they may be. He is being called to reconcile first because he has first been reconciled unto Christ. Because being called to to love in the truest, most pure form of love amongst believers with issues is reconciliation. And so when Paul writes to Philemon to treat Onesimus as a brother, he's saying, treat him as a beloved brother, he is saying reconciliation is when you look at the other person not out of what they've done to you, but out of what Christ has done to you. You look at the other person out of what Jesus has done to you, not what the other person has done to you, which is really important for us to quantify what that looks like by asking the question, well, what has Jesus done to me? You know what he's done to you? For you? At very best, you've brought all of your baggage to him. Every bad thing you've ever done, ever thought, all of your mistakes, every sin in your life, you've brought him before the Lord, and you know what he's done? Fully forgiven you. If you're found in Christ, he's fully forgiven you. And he's kept no records of that wrong. That's what he's done. That's what, that's what Christ has done to us. Yet as believers, we go, oh, we have all this grace, but now I'm going to hold you to this. 
rather than reconciling with believers the way that Christ reconciles with us. And so Paul really lays this out. He says, so if you consider me your partner, he's laying it all on the line right here. He says, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand and I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. (laughs) Yes, my brother, please do this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I'm confident as I write this letter to you that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing, please prepare a guest room for me for I'm hoping God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So one of the things that Paul's establishing here is like before anybody comes to you and asks forgiveness, you have to already have offered that because that's what Jesus has done with us. He is offering forgiveness for everything we've ever done before we ever come to him. In this final section, Paul shows us two more things. One is his confidence in Onesimus. He has confidence Onesimus is not only going to go with Tychicus and do the reconciliation, but he's going to do the work. He's going to step up. He's going to say what he needs to. He's going to own what he needs to. Because Paul's giving his word about him. Paul's putting his reputation on the line in this scenario. Everything that everybody knows Paul to be, he's putting it on the line for this guy named Onesimus. Second thing here is his strong belief that reconciliation must happen in these two relationships for the health of the church. Paul realizes that this issue between these two people isn't just between them, but it's affecting the health of the overall church, which is, should be a wake-up call to us. If you've got an issue with somebody else in church, you should go deal with it in a kind way. He, he addresses kindness often. Because your issue isn't just affecting you. It's going to affect people around you in the, in the proximity around you. Paul knew the instructions from Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus teaches about anger Because this is the heart behind the entire letter of Philemon. Verse 23 says, So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that somebody has something against you. Pause real quick. He doesn't say, if you remember, if you have something against somebody else. He's saying, if you've offended somebody else, you've got to be the one that goes and addresses that. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying it's more important to reconcile with one another than it is to worship. Yet we flip that all the time. Because it's easy to come in here and sing. Not a lot of difficulty. We don't have to have a difficult conversation. We don't have to address uh, something we may have done or something somebody else may have done. He says the greater act of worship to God is being reconciled to one another because we're loving one another. So what do we do? I think it depends on where we're at, right? Some questions we need to ask. Is there currently anybody in your life that you have an issue with? Currently, any, any, like maybe you, even just, you don't like them, right? Well, why don't you like them? Is there, some, is there anybody in our life that we have an issue with? Most of us, because we avoid conflict, we're like, no, no way, absolutely not. Okay, well, let's, let's kind of test it. And here's how we test it. We look at what, what Paul does in this letter. So Paul writes this letter, sends it with these two guys, Tychicus and Onesimus, And you know who shows up on Philemon's doorstep? His runaway slave. So we go, okay, is there anybody in my life, if they were to show up on my doorstep, it would would cause an issue with me? You're like, okay, maybe not. Like, nobody's going to do that, right? 
What if they walked into church this morning and sat next to you in worship? How uncomfortable would you get? Would it affect your worship? Would it affect your ability to sing praises to God? Or would you be thinking about them the entire time because they're sitting next to you and you're like, I've got to really put on the mask. I've got to really fake it this morning because this person is annoying me. If that's the case, then there's, there's probably something that we need to address. Second question, is there anybody in your life that maybe has an issue with you and you may think, well, how am I supposed to know that if they don't speak up? Well, you're, you're probably right. They probably won't. The question here is, am I an approachable person? Like, how do I, how do I take harsh words when they're spoken to me? Am I, do I jump immediately to a place of being attacked or defensive? I've got, I feel like I've got to stand up for myself. If that's, a, if that's where you go immediately, first off, here's the, here's the reality. Jesus is your defender, not yourself. Like Jesus, Jesus will take care of that way more than you could ever do that. And so if you always find yourself in a place of feeling offended or being defensive or, or in that place of feeling attacked, as, as followers of Jesus, like we have to be approachable. We've got to find a, a place of humility in our lives where pride isn't the thing that we're operating out of and people can come and address stuff in our lives. Because here's the reality, none of us are perfect. We're all jacked up. I say this all the time. The only reason I can stand on this stage is because I can look it out there and go, I'm as jacked up as y'all. I need help. I need people in my life to come into my life and be able to speak harsh words to me because I need it. People should never be scared to come and speak a hard word to you. We should be that approachable as human beings. But some of us, we get so defensive. You may have sat here all morning thinking, okay, Drew, like, I don't have anybody in my life that's offended me. I honestly don't think I fall into that second category either. Like, I don't feel like I offend anybody else. Generally, that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm struggling with some issues of pride in my current life. Like, that, that's, that's my prayer. Um, but generally, I find myself in this place. I, I generally get along with people really, really well. I can talk through a lot of stuff. I like to talk through a lot of stuff. Like, I'm fine with it. I, I'm, I'm okay with saying I'm sorry when I need to, and I'll step up and do that, and I'll own it. This is actually where Paul was when he wrote this letter. He was in a place. He wasn't offended. He wasn't standing in a, in a place of offense. He was sitting on the sideline. But instead of just sitting on the sideline, what, what's Paul do? He sees two people in the body that aren't good. He goes, man, I need to be a part of that. I need to play an active role in their reconciliation because I believe in, in love. And so, so Paul steps up and writes this letter because these two people weren't getting along. They were in unhealthy places. Onesimus is a runaway. Philemon is somebody who was offended. And he plays an active role in pushing them together in the name of Jesus to reconcile. All while he's in prison. He's, he's in a terrible place. Not, isn't experiencing freedom, but he's advocating for the freedom inside of this relationship. That's the context inside of the letter. He advocates for reconciliation for both of them. Now, they both had, had to get to this place where they both stepped forward. And I believe they did, based off of Paul's letter. So maybe today you don't have somebody that you have an issue with. Do you know anybody that's in that place that maybe has an issue with somebody else? And instead of being a part of the solution, you kind of feed the fire. And, and we, in, in my world, like, we call it a sounding board, right? You're just a sounding board. They come in and they vent to you, but you're never an active role player in helping them reconcile with the other person. You're never pushing them together, never pushing them to a place of, of, of meeting together and working through the issues present. Do you have family members that are like that? 
friends that are like that, people in your small group, people that you know, that you care about, that you love. Because here's reality. All of this is because we love one another as believers. And so how can you be a piece of that healing reconciliation in their life? What conversations do you need to step boldly into and, and, and take a place of courageousness rather than avoidance to help the church be the church and be in that deep fellowship of koinonia fully devoted to one another? So three, three places. Are you in a place of being offended? Is there anybody you need to go have a conversation with? Have you offended anybody? Is there anybody that you need to go to and say, I'm sorry? You need to take a place of humility. Or, third place, do you know anybody that's struggling in this area? How can you be an active person that does this constantly, all the time, fighting for the body of Christ, not with the body of Christ? Let's pray. Gotta love how your word is so straightforward at times. And there's no cutting cutting through it. There, there's no getting around it. There's no avoiding this whole concept of reconciliation when you read this letter. Like, this is what it's about. It's about loving one another to a place of working through our issues with one another. And so, God, I, I don't know where everybody's at in this room today. I don't know the people who have uh, issues with one another. I don't know the people that are sitting in a place of being offended. I don't know the people that are sitting in a place of being the offender and, and or the people that are just sitting around the edges of conflict and we, we kind of sit idly by. But I, here's what I know, God, is we all have active steps to take. We have active steps of, one, just receiving your reconciliation and the love that you have for us. Some of us have never done that before. We've never got out of our way and said, Jesus, I need your love first and foremost. Before I can take any of these steps towards other people, like, I just need your love. And I need to submit my life to you. I need to receive salvation. So I pray, God, if there's somebody here today that needs to do that, that they would step out, walk down to the aisle, take a pastor by the hands, come back to the pastor's guest reception, like seek that out today. But maybe there's, there's some people in here that they got some issues in their life with other people, other believers. And they need to work on it. They need to get to a place where they can just boldly say they're sorry, own some things work through the offenses, work through the, the hard things because, they, because they're devoted to one another, because they love one another. It's so easy. We live in a world that just jumps ship. When we, we experience something hard, we just leave. We get out. We run away. We don't work through the hard stuff anymore. We get offended by somebody. We leave the church. God, we, we bring us back to the heart of, of what worship is, which is reconciliation, loving you, loving one another. It's two greatest commandments. So, God, that's what I pray for. Pray it over our congregation. Pray it over my own life. Help me, help me take a step in that. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray.